what's up everybody welcome to the show my name is brian horning i'm with exact it solutions i'm here with my co-host reginald andre from arc solvers down in miami florida and randy bryan from tech rescue in san marco texas now we all run cybersecurity companies and we are doing this podcast out of the goodness of our heart to spread the word the good word about cybersecurity what the heck's going on out there and what you can start doing to protect yourself. That's our goal, right? But there is a fee for the show that we ask that you help us promote this show and get the word out for us. Share this show with your friends and family and whoever else you feel is worthy of knowing about this podcast. We do record it live on video on all the social media platforms. We also put the audio recording on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Audible, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get it. So either way, share us out, help us out, help us grow the show. And then that helps us want to do more content and keep everybody educated because God knows, gentlemen, nobody's talking about this stuff in the news, in the mainstream media, and things are getting pretty, pretty bad out there. 2022 has not started off good for businesses and cyber criminals are are cleaning up, even though law enforcement seems to be, you know, racking up some wins. I don't see cyber attacks slowing down. Welcome to the show. You guys agree? <laughs> disagree? I mean, it's like we're on a train going downhill. It ain't gonna slow Ooh. down anytime soon. That's for sure. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, these 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 uh two. So they they took down a VPN service today. Um, a bunch of law enforcement authorities, a favorite one of, of cyber criminals, but really most cyber criminals that I know that are worth anything have their own VPN set up. They're not using some third party company, um, number one. And then uh, Rebel, our, our evil, God, if I say that wrong again, I might get an email. Um, our evil uh, got taken down, or at least the remnants of it. They weren't really, I in my mind, a prolific prolific ransomware group anymore that kind of died off after the Kaseya attack in July. Um, um, it seems like Conti and Lockbit are kind of the, the lead horse right now. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at. So what are you, what are you guys thoughts on this? I mean, I, I just think these two uh, ransomware groups or these two things that law enforcement did are very, kind of like no big no big thing right people look at the rebel uh takedown is like oh they got a ransomware group well this ransomware group kind of took itself out back in july when they attacked it say um you know i don't see these as real big wins and when you look at rr donnelly under a cyber attack chronos is still dealing with a cyber attack uh schedule fly just got back up and running from a cyber attack um you have a bunch of cities under cyber attack I think a couple out out in New Mexico, and this is all things that happened just this year, and we're only in you know the 18th of of January. We're 18 days into the year, um, and there's a lot of cyber attacks currently happening. So, um, do you agree with me on that, guys? That you know these these uh, takedowns by law enforcement are, are too little, too late. I guess is a good way to kind of lay that out there. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's just it's just the name. It's 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 the name of the organization, but that just means that they're just going to create a new one and just use the same methodologies and just continue what they're doing. Um, so it's great that they're doing it, but but um, when uh, but it's yeah, like you said, too little, too late. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And it's the I, I talked about it um, with somebody earlier today where like the VPN group that got taken down, it's all the news today. Um, they didn't get the people behind it. They just took the website down, right? So, you know, when you're talking about technology, you take servers down, so what? If the people that built those servers are still operating, they can just go do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, they might have backups where they could just easily, you know, spin up a new environment and boom, they're back up and running. We saw this with ransomware groups constantly. Um, where they get their servers knocked offline and then they'd be back up in a couple days. Um, there's there's really got to be a more concerted effort. Um, it's just like, you know, arresting people, you know, at some location in a city. There's got to be a more concerted effort. Um, just arresting a few people is not going to make it, make it go away. Um, but if you have a plan in place, um, you can reduce it. Um, so, you know, they need really more of a, of a, probably of a strategic plan to do that. But yeah, I don't, I don't see it making a really a dent in it. Yeah. So I agree with that because, and that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Is we kind of stumbled upon this 2021 global chief technology officer survey done by, uh, STX next. And we snagged this report that had a lot of kind of juicy information um, that I think is, you know, in a sense, eye opening uh, for it's going to be eye opening for a lot of people as we highlight um, kind of where it's where where the state of cybersecurity is at in businesses. Right. And this survey looked at a lot of different size businesses. A lot of surveys only look at, you know, a particular sector. Um at, or a particular business size like enterprise or medium or small. This looked at companies from zero, one employee to over a thousand employees. Uh, so we're going to dive into this report today, kind of highlight some things and really give people kind of the lay of the land of what's going on out there in the corporate world uh, with cybersecurity. So, because uh, I think it really answers the question as to why all these cyber attacks are happening. Like, I think if you're on the other side of the fence where you're not guys like us who are involved in this every day, you hear about these attacks every once in a while on the news. Um, you're aware of ransomware, but you really don't understand how this is able to happen so uh, prevalently through business and, and, and just hear about it all the time. seems like it's been going on for a while now. And there's really like you said, Randy, it's a train rolling downhill and there's no stopping this thing right now. So we're going to kind of paint the picture today of why that is and show you some stats that that back up, um, you know, why things are the way they are today um, and kind of make sense of this for people. So before I pull up our first slide, is there anything that you gentlemen want to talk about why I share some things out on social media? Or are we going to go right into it? Uh, there was uh, just to give the, our viewers um, an update on the Cilion, uh that they had a ransomware attack a couple of maybe like a year ago. They just settled for eight million dollars. Um, there was a class action lawsuit on them. And then also uh, Goodwill um, also recently just had a data breach on their website. Goodwill. Yeah. Oh, OK. Interesting. I believe they are headquartered in my area. 
Yeah, that's always a little disconcerting when a charity gets gets hacked because uh, not the first time that that particular entity has right. been hit, my friend. Um, only a lot of donor I, information and stuff like that. That only because I know them because they're in my area. Now I don't know if Goodwill is run like a franchise. I do know that there is a there's either a franchise headquarters or a headquarters here in my area. I feel like it's the, the national headquarters, but I, I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, but that's interesting. Um, let's jump into it. So uh, I'm going to throw up on the screen our first slide that we want to talk about, guys. Um, and, you know, jumping right into it, this is a nice uh, slide in this report because I think it paints a really nice picture of kind of the state of cybersecurity in businesses today. Um, and this uh, survey looked at um, businesses across many different sizes, as you can see over here in this chart. And the kind of like pinkish uh, uh, color here in this chart um, represents no cybersecurity, no dedicated team, and the darker purple or blue represents a dedicated team. And my first takeaway looking at this quickly is it seems like um, the bigger businesses have a dedicated team. They have the talent. They have the resources in place um, at a much higher level than uh, anybody with 250 employees or less. And uh, you guys seeing the same thing? And why do you think that is? Welcome back to resources. And, and you know, and I would just say the, uh, I'm hearing an echo. So yeah, so it all comes back to resources and where the level of maturity when it comes to the executive team is. So a business running, you know, has eight employees. He's not thinking about cybersecurity. He's just thinking about an IT guy compared to that, you know, business with 250 employees is, you know, those are different conversations and they can afford to have somebody on staff or outsource the company. Yeah, pretty much what uh, what Andre said. We knew we do know there is a a shortage of security professionals. Um, Four hundred to six hundred thousand is the shortage in the USA, depending on which source you read. But it is a large uh, deficit, if you will. So you know, like uh, like Andre said, the larger companies are going to be uh, be able to have the funds, the resources to pull those people in. Um, where your smaller, you know, your smaller businesses really won't. And somebody that's a size, say, one to 10 probably can't afford. I mean, we don't look at it, you know, from an afford first, you know, perspective. But a company that's size, you know, one to 10, are they going to really have 100,000, 200,000 a year plus benefits to pay to a dedicated, you know, security staff person or whatever, or whatever that person, you know, would bring in their particular market. Right. So in this survey, um, it says, do you have a dedicated team or department providing security and services to your organization? So of all the respondents, only 25% say yes and 75% say no. So I guess that begs the question or is it, is it kind of stating the obvious with the question that it's time for businesses to have a dedicated team or department providing security services? Are we there? Does, 
it does every single business one to 10, 11 to 50, 51 to 250. Uh, you know, even with a thousand, you're barely cracking the 50% mark. It seems like enterprise and above is really where the security talent and is in place. But we see those companies getting cyber attacked all the time. They're the ones that are going to make the news, right? So I kind of question whether or not like the CTOs just answered that they do when they really don't um, just, you know, so they didn't look bad in the survey. I don't know, but I feel like this number here is a little high. Like you're telling me that over 80% of enterprises, you know, have a dedicated team in place and, they're, and, they're, and that dedicated team is doing everything that they should. Um, so what are your, what are your thoughts on my original question here, guys is like, are we at a point where, all businesses need to start having a dedicated team. You know, tr like I, I would I would venture to say that anywhere from this group up, probably either has their own internal team of employees or they work with a third party company. Um, is that kind of where we're at? Where uh, and what I mean by that is a third party company that manages their IT, not necessarily from a security standpoint, but traditional IT infrastructure management. Is it now time for companies to now invest in a dedicated team for just security separate from that IT team? Is that where we're at? And, and I think that's where the gray area still falls because if you ask this question, it's a very clear question. Do you have a dedicated team or department providing security services? And if you ask a lot of CEOs, they're going to say yes, but it's probably their IT guy, their gu the, the guy who knows how to set up an email account, who knows how to add memory to a computer, but he doesn't know anything about security. So the, the owner or the, or the executive thinks that, oh, yeah, all my security stuff is being taken care of. But then when you go in the you know, nitty gritty and look at the operations of the company, you realize that they have no you know, security um, protection. I mean... I would definitely agree with everything that you just said, Andre. And then I would also just say, I mean, the answer to your question, all your questions, I think pretty much is yes, 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 yes. I mean, it's really about basic. Where's the money? Uh, the crime's going to follow the money. And if you even just look at this graph right here. So as the larger organizations with the more money get more secure, the, the crime is going to trickle down and start going after smaller companies because they're going where the money is and where the money's available. You think about a giant parking lot with a thousand cars in it. You know, we have an outlet mall here in San Marcos. It's the third most third most visited destination in all of Texas. So mm -hmm. guess what? It's also where the highest auto theft is or one of the highest in all of Texas is that little outlet mall out there. And you know the criminals just go through it checking for unlocked cars. I think we read a statistic, what was it, last week, about like 97% of all car thefts, the door was unlocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, so so bottom line is crime's going to follow the money. Bigger organizations are getting more secure, and they're going to – they they're already are. They're trickling down. They're going to go where the money is, and they're going to figure out a way to do it. So they have to scale. So they have ransomware as a service so, that, so they can scale to get smaller businesses and go after that, that money. So yeah, the time's here, time's actually passed, Brian. Like we can't, we can't just 
sit around and and hope and pray that we don't get attacked. We got to start being proactive um, about protecting things that matter to us. And it's not going to be long before cyber criminals figure out the numbers here, right? Yeah, these are pretty, you know, and you know, and these 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 guys are going to pay you in the millions, you know, over a thousand. But there's also money to be had here. And when you're not doing anything for cybersecurity, this is easy money. So as ransomware as a service scales, as these guys figure out ways to get in the networks easier and cheaper, um, it's they're not going to ask for as much money because they don't need as much money, right? Or, you know, in the same sense, maybe they won't go for the millions. Maybe they'll go for the tens or hundreds of thousands because that keeps the authorities off their butts for a while. You know what I mean? But this is a huge problem when you're talking about nearly 60%. And and this right here, this employee, this employee count from one to 250 probably encompasses about 95% of the businesses out there. You know what I mean? Like the businesses that get over 250 are very few and far between. And that's like 5% of of the businesses out there. Um, So this other stat was interesting. Are you using the services of an external specialized company for security and cybersecurity? And this goes back to what you mentioned early, er, Randy, which was that there's a major labor shortage. And if, and if you're a, a business and you're in maybe this range of one to 51 to 250, where you're kind of thinking like we can hire cybersecurity professionals um, to come in and do this for us and not work with an outside company. Um, I think you're going to be sorely disappointed to find out that the labor market is not really um, there and you're not going to be able to fill those positions very easily. Uh, Do you agree with that statement, uh, Andre? And, you know, is that really the answer based on this chart? Like companies, and I don't want to make this sound like a commercial for our companies, but really like companies really need to look at managed security providers and to tackle this problem based on these stats. No, that's kind of what this whole slide's telling me is that, you know, they need to reach out to third party companies to handle this problem. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very difficult to find uh, very expensive to find some uh, a, a, a IT security professional that's going to work in your organization that's not going to want to move up the ladder in two or three years. That's right. at most as, as, as long as he's going to go where there's, I mean, even here in Miami, you have all of these companies moving to um, the Brickell area and the Wynwood area, and they're looking and they're poaching. You know, they're like looking at everybody that they can get and they're adding an extra $40,000 in their salary just so that they can get them here. So, and I'm sure in Texas as well, Randy. So um, yeah, the best thing to do is to go for that third party um, and have and have a, a managed um, cybersecurity company um, take care of those things for them. Good insight. So this next slide that I have up, we're gonna, and, and this is probably no surprise to anybody that watch, listens to our podcast, <laughs> but human error is the biggest what is the biggest security risk? And most CTOs feel like it's human error. They feel like an employee of their company is going to screw up, click on something, respond to an email, answer a phone call, and let somebody remote into their computer. Some kind of social engineering is going to take place for them to get an attack. Other, The second one is ransomware on, on that list. Now, 
if you add those two numbers together, like, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot of CTOs who have concerns between human error and ransomware. Ransomware to me is a result of so, things like human error, phishing, in, inadequate cloud security, uh, insider threats. That's, you know, that's the result. A DDoS attack, the ransomware, that's, that's the result of you not having proper security in place. Um, so my, I would venture to say that the human error part is probably more towards that enterprise level, that thousand plus. And the ransomware answers came from the lower end of the market where they look at ransomware as a cybersecurity risk when really the cybersecurity risk exists within your cybersecurity practices. Ransomware is a result of you not doing that well. Right. I, I, I wonder if you are including in human error. It sounds like you're including in human error, like not putting in switches that are past, you know, like replacing switches that are past end of life, updating firmware on, you know, IOT devices, updating firmware on firewalls, where I wonder if in this survey, they're talking about human error being like people opening up a bad email. I think that's, I think that's what I take it as. Now I take it as, I take it as people opening up a bad email, but that action is going to result in ransomware. True. <clears throat> Threat, ransomware is a is a threat in itself, right? But that's the result. <clears throat> there, are, the, you're not going to prevent ransomware, right? Unless you do these other things, like eliminate human error as much as humanly possible. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Eliminate um, phishing attacks. But it's not it, the only result. It's not the only like, result. It could be crypto mining malware. It could be other malware. But I don't look at ransomware as something that you can necessarily prevent with it's in we're, when we approach cybersecurity, we're not necessarily f solely focused in on stopping ransomware. It's okay. We need to shore this up because this could be an attack vector where you could potentially get ransomware, but you can get other things as well by not shoring these things up. You don't provide security and awareness training which will help reduce the amount of human error you have, right? If you don't provide that, then the chances of you getting ransomware are greater, but you it's not the only thing you might get. You right. might get a remote access trojan. You might get crypto mining malware. <clears throat> you might get a keylogger. Who knows, right? And I think that that's, you know, I think that that's just the level of education that, this, that these CTOs have around, how all this stuff actually fits together. Right. And I think we have a slide later on that's going to back that up. Um, so what's your biggest takeaway, Andre, from, from this particular slide right here? And we didn't even talk about the chart on the left, which is about, you know, one in every 13 companies has experienced a cyber attack in the last 12 months in this report. So um, what do you, what are your takeaways from this slide? Yeah, so the, the chart on the left where it says, um, did your organization fall victim to a cyber attack within the last 12 months? So 92% said no, which I don't believe. Um, right. Yeah, either they're either afraid to uh, admit it because they don't know where the survey is going to go, 
or the person being asked um, didn't know about it or they don't even know that it's happening right now. Right. That. And then the other thing, too, that I think of is this is only in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they got they didn't get hit 13 or 14 or 15 months ago. Right. right? This is also CTOs that have their their jobs kind of on the line. So maybe they're underreporting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Randy, anything on this particular slide that stands out to you? Um, what Andre said, definitely, uh, definitely agree, agree uh, with that. Um, and then the fact that this is CTOs and maybe they're not as in touch with everything that we would want them to be. Um, maybe they're under reporting, um, you know, since it's CTOs, maybe because of the organization that's going to have a CTO, that's the size one to 10. Mm -hmm. Like maybe, you know, they have a little better practices in place. And that's, I don't know. I don't know. This is very, uh, very interesting to statistic that you could yep. mull over for a long time. So I'm going to skip over that last slide because I want to, I want to, <clears throat> I want to kind of look at some other stats here, but one in five CTOs has more than 10 direct reports. That is, that must be at, at the enterprise level. Um, and there was a stat in here and I want to try to find it uh, around training. Right. And it said most CTOs don't have cybersecurity training. Yeah, I remember talking about that in the green room. How are you learning? No. Uh, and they, here it is. So 75% of CTOs haven't completed a cybersecurity course. And that's kind of what I was talking about in the previous slide, where they look at these things like threats because they don't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is a problem in itself for our industry, right? Because we have people who are at the top who need to make decisions and you can see what they are. They're not business people. They're technical people. That could be a problem for a lot of businesses because just because you're very good at technical and you have a very good technical ability, that doesn't translate well into management. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen companies make this mistake over and over again. Um, and not realize that they're making a mistake because they think they have a superstar technical person, but you're not coding anymore. You're not building software applications. You're managing, you're team building, you're, you know, trying to get a culture built. Um, not skills that most technical people possess, especially naturally. You might be able to acquire those skills, um, but usually not out of the box are these people prepared for management type roles? So what courses have you completed over the last 12 months? Well, we're skilling up, right? We want to, we want to keep our programming skills going. We want, you know, to know about the latest software architecture because God knows programming languages change every 10 minutes. Um, they want to know more about tech leadership, um, agile and scrum again, which is just, uh, you know, a philosophy around programming, right? Seems like we've got a lot of programmers at the top of the food chain here. Project product management. They got to learn how to manage products and, and projects, right? Which is not really managing people, 
right? And keeping people together and, and having a culture and, you know, being able to retain talent is not something that I'm seeing in place here that, that is a strength or is something that is being even uh, considered. And that's going to be a problem in the long run. It's not just about managing projects and products for your customers. Um, it's also about team building and things like that. So DevOps, back to back, back to software development, business strategy, data science, cybersecurity, way at the bottom of the list, sticking our heads in the sand is the biggest thing I can take away from that. Uh, and then other. So Randy, what were you going to say? Well, um, there's another slide that says 97% of CTOs dedicate time to education on a weekly basis. Um, almost 20% spend over 400 hours a year in learning. Um, bottom line is they're spending time in growth. Like literally you were just saying this, but very, very little time on growing in the area of cybersecurity. And that's a huge, huge problem. Or, or actually running, actually running a, a company or a, a department, you know, when you're focused on scaling up your technical ability, like kind of to me, when you become a CTO or you're an IT director, the days of you needing to know technical stuff are over, mm -hmm. right? You hire people for that and you manage your team and you build a culture and you work on things like retaining people and building, um, you know, programs that make people want to stay or you get people skilled up and you build your bench strength. Um, and that's really not what we're seeing here, which is a, a little scary when everybody's work worried about skilling themselves up and not protecting data. Um, that, that that concerns me. So let's dump, jump into our kind of our last slide here. And this is kind of uh, the, the big one and the reason why we even wanted to do this uh, sh podcast around this report. But nearly half of survey companies have no ransomware protection. Um, so and this is across the board. So here's the interesting thing, right? We have the fortune, or, or let's just call it the over 1,000 employee companies that have an 82% plus um, dedicated team, but we have a huge number, like 50% of these people don't have ransomware protection in place. I guess my first question is, Andre, we haven't heard from you in a while, is ransomware protection really a thing or is it more about the cybersecurity practices as a whole? Um, I, I, I look at that word ransomware protection and I get, I just get scared because I think that's like that silver bullet that people always want right. um, to be on the system. Um, so I guess, you know, from your standpoint, you know, do you agree with me or do you see the ransomware protection, um, being something maybe that they shouldn't have asked about because it's not really a, a thing. You have to follow a framework and you have to have a cybersecurity program to prevent ransomware. Exactly. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so there's nothing where you can Google and put ransomware protection and then they're going to say, okay, here's your product and this is how much it's going to cost. Wait, I want to challenge you on that. Okay, I'm going to cool. Google ransomware protection yeah. right now. Now you're gonna. I, I just want to see what comes up. Yeah, I, I can tell you. Hopefully, what you my find. company doesn't come up. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's go. I think he means legit, legit, a, a legit answer. Because with ransomware, it's 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 layers. You just can't you just can't say this is it. Like you know, there's one thing that you can say 
a, a, a virus protection, for example, but ransomware protection. All right, let's see what we got. All right, so so my my Google, my friends at Google. Well, of course, ConnectWise is up top, um, and then we have Rubric. And then these are all ads that people are paying for. Right. And then we have Zscaler. Uh, and they're Prevent Ransomware with Industry's Largest Inline Cloud Security Platform. Uh, this white paper, so this is a white paper from Rubik. I don't know what Rubik is. I'm going to assume there's some kind of... And we got CrowdStrike. And then PC Mags at the top. Uh, they probably are reviewing ransomware protection. God only knows what they're doing. Um, Acronis, that's backup. Microsoft is there, Tech Radar. Um, so good. It doesn't seem like, I mean, you got the Kaspersky anti ransomware tool, um, but it doesn't seem like anybody's kind of out there promoting themselves as like the silver bullet. Obviously, people are running ads, but they're pushing you to an ebook. Um, I don't know what these guys are doing. They're kind of like all over the place. Um, but, you know, I don't see anything that stands out. Um, obviously Falcon is a, the product that CrowdStrike puts on everybody's systems, um, uses AI and ML to identify ransomware. Well, so do the tools that I use. Um, so I don't see anything there. So you're right. Um, I'll give you that one that nobody's really kind of out there saying that they have a silver bullet. So, uh, let's jump back into that slide. Yeah, so I'm glad that's the case because I was a little scared that I was going to search that and we were going to find like, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, so when it comes to ransomware, you can do isolation after the fact, you know, um, but there's nothing as we saw that can actually, it's a product that says it's going to 100% or 99% protect ransomware because it doesn't exist in that of, of that way of thinking. So here's, here's the other interesting thing that I want to point out to people with this chart. And this is another way to look at it, right? So this light gray area means not implemented at all, which is obviously 46%, right? Which is what the headline is. But then if you add in, implement it in some cases and implement it in most cases and then implement it everywhere, you have 90% of the companies out there where it's not implemented everywhere. It's implemented in most cases or some cases. And what the hell does that mean? Because if it's not implemented everywhere, it's not implemented at all, in my opinion. You can't have, if you're calling ransomware protection, your, your endpoint protection, right? Your, you know, your, the tool that you use, your CrowdStrike, right? If you have CrowdStrike on some of your systems, but on all of your systems, you're screwed. Yes, no, maybe so. You guys agree with that? You're screwed. Yeah, you're screwed. I mean, you got to have it on every one. So 90% of the companies out there, folks, if you want to know why ransomware is happening, 90% of the companies out there that were in this survey, and you know, you can pretty much say that that's how it is in the world, 90% don't have ransomware protection everywhere. On top of that, almost the same number for multi-factor authentication. Almost 80% of companies... 87% of companies don't have rants or, or I'm sorry, implemented everywhere. And then the rest, they only have 17% and the rest, it's about 82%, right? Don't have any multi-factor authentication or single sign-on. Um, <clears throat> I'm not surprised to see seeing that low at all. 
Um, and just so people know what SIEM is, that's people monitoring logs and reviewing them and making sure that hackers aren't moving around in the network and things like that. Identity access management, very similar to multi-factor and single sign-on. You're still at an 80% adoption rate there. Privilege access management, it's kind of a step up from identity access management. You know, 90% growth opportunity there, similar to ransomware. Um, business continuity tools, oh my God, less than 80% have business continuity tools in place. And disaster recovery capabilities, e.g. automated backups. For some reason, that's up higher than everything else. And I got to tell you guys, I got a feeling that that's just people having a false sense of security in their business. And they think that they have good backups and they, you know, they get that backup report and they're like, oh, yeah, we got good backups. And then at the end of the day, when they get hit with ransomware, either the backups get wiped out or when they actually try to recover from those backups, they actually don't recover and they don't work. Mm -hmm. That number, you guys got to agree with me. This number, with these numbers being where they're at, where we don't have this, we don't have this, we don't have this, 80 to 90%. You're going to tell me that all of a sudden with disaster recovery capabilities, they're over 70% uh, sure that they have this covered. The I, I don't believe it. I mean, so so people in our industry have been saying you've got to back it up. I mean, since like the 80s. So right. maybe that message is getting through to me of that particular one. What's most disturbing is that 7% have nothing. After yeah. all of these years, four or five decades, however long that, what is that, four decades of saying you need backups that still 7% of the people don't have. But them. I got to I got to imagine that most of those 793 uh, or 92.3% that responded the way that they did. Now, for me, I'm maybe I'm a little hardcore, but if you're telling me like I wouldn't asked I wouldn't have asked the two uh, some cases or most cases. I would have just said, do you have it implemented everywhere or do you not have it implemented? Because if you have it implemented in most cases or some cases, it's probably so crappy that it's not going to work when you really need it anyway. Or it's not going to do the job when you need to use it as your disaster recovery thing. I think a lot of people look at that and go, oh, yeah, we have Dropbox. We have Acronis. We're good. Mm -hmm. But nobody's really checking that stuff to see if it you know, actually will recover your data when, you know, the event happens. And I just think that if these numbers are this low, this number is way too high. There's nobody, there's no way that they have all this other stuff in place and then their backups are good because these companies that are down for weeks at a time, that's what they find out. They find out after they have ransomware that these backups are no good. And now you're not going to be down for two or three days. You're going to be down for a month or two. Agree, disagree? Agree, yeah. It's, yeah. it's no way that you, you, you're not setting a multi-factor, but then you have a great backup. It just doesn't, you know. And, and that's and that's the challenge, right, guys? We got to get to the point where we are eliminating this kind of talk, where it's implemented in some cases and implemented in most cases, right? Because these two are very dangerous. Because if, they, if you think that it's okay to do it in some cases or in most cases, but not everywhere, a criminal hacker is going to find where you have this gap and where you where you don't have it everywhere and they're going to exploit it and that's how they're going to deploy mm -hmm. ransomware. Yeah. Right? It's and and 
guys, once they're in your network, it's automated tools and robots that do all this stuff. It's not human beings that look for these things and test and, and you know, alert the human being that there is a potential risk here that they can exploit. Um, so, you know, this has all got to get shored up. But this slide right here is why ransomware happens every 11 seconds. And, and this is the reason why. So anything you guys want to talk about on this slide or any other slides in the report that we didn't time? I think we have a little bit of time. We're about 40 minutes in. So we're going to wrap up here in like five minutes. Um, but good show. I think this was a good topic. I think this highlighted a lot of good things. Um, and we have some questions. So why don't I throw those up? Stop sharing. Uh, so we have some questions from some fans. Uh, we're going to go to Steve. Steve, do you think pride could play a part in why technically skilled people don't feel the need to take cybersecurity training seriously? Do you have any suggestions for overcoming this and putting data safety above pride? I think we can speak to this because I think we're all from that world, right? And we've had to, we've had to grow, evolve, and make uh, adjustments in how we approach things um, as technical people who are actually business owners. So um, I'd love to hear what you guys have learned over your years transitioning from that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think um, definitely when it comes to technicians and and small business owners that are techs, like for example, um, we have something called the Facebook Big Group, which is basically about eighty thousand business owners and and people post things there all the time. And when you see that when a question is asked and the comments that are below and how like how their mindset is so different from the maturity that us three have. So I, I do think that um, these technically skilled people that are CTOs and, and in charge of networks, they have their way. They think they know what they're doing and they don't want to hear from anybody else. Yeah, and that's tough because I've always said that this business, a lot of people have what's known as a God complex. Um, <laughs> because you think about it, you've been working in IT for 20 years and you've had the keys to the kingdom, right? You can get to the CEO's da data and the CEO can't even get to his data most of the time, right? And it develops a God complex. And then when you deal with these people on a professional level, that shines through if they don't do some personal development and realize that they just can't walk all over everybody and treat everybody however they want. Like there's there's a there's an, a way that you need to communicate uh, with a lot of different people who might not share the same personality style as you or may not want to receive information the way that you deliver it. And if you're not aware of that and you can't make those adjustments, it's going to be really hard for you to build a team. Um, and I just, you know, I just don't feel like technical people are the best suited uh, individuals for roles like the head of a department or the, or the CTO. So Randy, um, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I would definitely say uh, pride could take a part um, in them not taking it seriously. Um, and I don't know if pride as much as, you know, some of the trainings that you get, you know, in your weekly training, your daily training, your one little one minute video, it might be, you know, might seem kind of lame, you know, because they talk about updating your iPhone or whatever, you know, um, but well, I think like employee is... training is different from CTO training, right? I think that I think the disturbing thing out of that report for me around CTO training was how much training they were doing around 
the skill that got them there, right? Right. They're doing programming. They're they're learning about they're learn they're they're keeping the skills that they've always had new and fresh. And I think when you become a manager, the days of technical training kind of fall by the wayside and you have to do more business and team building and and training around those types of things and acquire those types of skills because like I said you you probably naturally don't have them and that's the biggest mistake I see most technical people make is they don't have that awareness um so well like go ahead well he did say um in his question about cybersecurity and that could definitely be right my just my wrap it up point would be i think that everybody especially in this industry we need to we need to uh, make a goal for our own lives to be a lifelong learner. Um, and we need to consist, we need to all, always be learning, never feel like we've arrived. And yes, you can be an expert like he's talking about. Um, but you want to, you want to keep growing and you want to look at your blind spots, take them seriously. Um, so whether it is pride or whether it's, they're trying to shore up what they're already good at, they need to do it, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important for people to understand you need to, you need to, do what you enjoy, right? So if you enjoy being a programmer, you enjoy banging out code, you enjoy developing uh, programs and seeing the fruits of your labor when you compile that code and it executes properly and you're able to deploy software to, you know, your environment, that's awesome, right? And that's a that's a, an adrenaline rush when things go well. Um, and you know, it's, it's, uh, instant gratification in a lot of cases, if you're really good at what you do, um, that goes for a lot of roles in the technical realm. Um, when you move into management, you don't need those skills. They're not required anymore. So unless you're completely not confident or unsure that you're going to be able to maintain a role as a CTO, there's no need for you to do those type that type of training. So it, it's a mindset shift that you have to make when you move into that role that you're no longer going to be the top technical guy. And I think a lot of that's a lot of where a lot of people get it wrong and have a hard time letting go is because they don't need to be the top dog when it comes to technical things anymore. They have to acquire other skills. And that's the biggest thing. If you can't get over that and you still gravitate towards technical type training and, you know, skilling up from a technical standpoint, you're probably not suited out to be a manager and you're better off staying in, you know, maybe a high level technical role as a senior developer or something like that, which is perfectly okay. Um, but that's my advice that I would give to Steven is just be aware of what you like to do, what you don't like to do. And sometimes you just have to understand that, you know, management not, might not be for you. Um, being a technical person, coding, all that stuff might be for you. And, and that's OK. That's where you should stay. And that's where you should um, enjoy, you know, the rest of your career. So um, we got another question here from Drew. What are the best cybersecurity training courses for employees to take? Are there any specific options you all would recommend? You know, I'm not going to name a product, um, but I do have a methodology that I think works. I've mentioned it on this show a million times. But Andre, what are you, what are your thoughts on this question? And then we'll bounce it over to Randy, and then we'll wrap up the show. Um, there's plenty of them out there. Um, I know IT Pro TV is a, is a good one that we internally have our techs do. 
But I think this goes back to, and this is not on Drew, but I think this kind of goes back to the issue that our industry has in how, you know, quite frankly, anybody can become a CTO, a company that maybe had 30 employees. Now they ramped up to 100 employees and the CEO is looking around like, oh my gosh, we just have all of this technology nightmare. I need to put someone head in charge. Okay, Sam, you've been here from day one. You know all the IT stuff. We're going to go ahead and promote you to the CTO. But you know, I did a quick Google search while you're talking, Brian, and I did do CPAs have to do continuing education. And Florida CPAs must complete at least 80 hours of continuing education every two years. Then I did another Google search, do, um, do construction uh, contractors have to do continuing education and obtain, they have to obtain 14 hours of continuing education every two years in the state of Florida. But for CTOs, for IT, for the IT guy, all of that, zero. And, that, and that's the problem. And that's why going back to the previous slide about not having the two form factor authentication and all of these different things, because these guys, they don't know because they're not keeping up and they don't know these statistics that we're talking about. I like that angle from the CTO standpoint. And I think you hit on a big thing that that's where they really need to be spending their time. So Randy, and keep it in context of employee training. What's, what do you think the most effective cybersecurity training for your employees looks like? Or if you want to name a specific product, go ahead. Um, I'm going to lay off naming a specific product. I'm going to kind of just lay out what it should look like. Um, but what are your thoughts on employee training, right? Because that was one of the things that came out of this report was human error being a problem, right? And how do we combat mm -hmm. human error? It's, it's security and awareness training. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I would definitely look at some uh, outside, some people's ratings on it, maybe. But I think at the end of the day, what I like most is training that tries to trick you to fail. And then when you do fail, offers a remediation to get some of your honor back. So whether that, you know, and, you know, I, I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but but where it offers like, hey, you clicked on this fishing, this fishing test, watch this little video. And instead of having negative 20 on your employee security score, you know, you're going to get uh, negative two because you watch the video and hopefully now you've uh, learned from it. We've seen internally at our organization, the 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 like clicking on phishing emails went to zero very, very fast with that yep. um, because it just teaches them to spot them, to always be on alert um, because you don't know if one comes in, you don't know if it's from the training or if it's from, if it's, if it's real um, to where we've seen in our organization, people take screenshots, post it into company chat and say, wow, what, this is a really good one. Did you guys get this? If you did watch out that, that kind of thing where yep. the very, very first time we did that had an employee actually turn down the remediation. And, you know, <laughs> that kind of got me a little, a uh, little on the upset side because, you know, you need to be a lifelong learner, man. You know, you, you failed. Let's learn from it. You know, it's not like, well, I really know better. I just clicked on it anyway. Like you just can't have that attitude in uh, in this business. So I like that a lot. I know uh, that sounds similar to um, how no before operates their uh, security and awareness training. The only the only 
little caveat that I would kind of mention about that particular training is there are some things that people need to know about <clears throat> that you can't get them to fail at something, right? So we got to get that information to them. Um, so my kind of preferred way is to deliver regular cybersecurity training every week um, in short little consumable videos that aren't just some guy like me talking on a screen, you know, maybe they're engaging um, using cartoons or some other form of entertainment. Um, really, that way is the is the way that this you got to deliver it. It's got to be regular. And what it can't be um, is it can't be once a quarter or, or twice a year or once a year because nobody buys in. Nobody understands. They're just kind of checking a box or signing into a sign in sheet saying that they were there. Um, we still know a lot of companies are doing it this way. Um, and that really doesn't build a culture of cyber security. So, all right, one more question. We'll try to get through this as quickly as possible from Julie. Could companies maybe offer incentives for employees that have a score of X or higher? Thoughts? Not a bad idea. I like it. Um, it's really, really depends on how the company wants to, to get it out there and, and incentivize their employees to, for buying in on this. But I don't think it's a bad idea um, to incentivize employees for having a score of X or higher. So um, yep. good idea, Julie. There's always, uh, we're always open to new ideas. And that, I think that's a good one. Something that makes me think of something I was thinking about and I didn't mention is I would love to see employee training that's gamified. Yeah. Gamify it, um, give out prizes, you know, um, maybe a chance to win cash, maybe a chance to win, you know, a pizza stop, delivered stop to your talking. house. Stop talking. Stop talking. You're, you're going to, somebody's going to steal our idea and, you know, <laughs> break up the Beatles. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> good idea. So I like it. I like it. Gamify it. Um, that's the way to do it. So um, cool. So, Guys, thank you again. We're 55 minutes in. Great show. Um, we took like three slides and turned it into 50 minutes of talking and educating people about cybersecurity. Folks, if you made it this far in our show, please remember, share our show, like it, get it out there to your friends and family, help us grow. Um, we love the fact that we're getting more and more comments and we can pull more and more of your questions up on the screen. Um, I think we're getting close to 52 episodes if we're not there yet. I forget. Um, and Julie, Julie says, yes, gamify, right? So we got to gamify it, right? So um, thanks again. We'll see you in the next, we'll see you next week when we uh, record another episode of cybersecurity, uh, security squawk, not cybersecurity squawk, security squawk podcast. Right. See you next time. Take care.